oh, you know, I don't have that kind of time. I can't be on hold with my cellular provider because they have the bad hold music and it takes an hour or something. The average American watches 20 hours of TV a week. Yes, you have the time, <laughs> right? Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate. A dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Please check us out online at couplesynergy.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Couplesynergy. And please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couples Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform the relationships for over 20 years. You know, everyone says you should work on your relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do, create the relationship they've always dreamed of. With the partner they fell in love with. On today's episode, we welcome Gordon Stein. He is an international keynote speaker, personal finance expert, and author of Cashflow Cookbook, $2 million dollars of financial freedom in 60 easy recipes. He also helps people crush their numbers, number one, stress their finances. Thank you so much, Gordon, for being on our podcast today. A real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. So this is a really, really important topic here. You know, they say that the uh, number two, the two reasons, the two top re- two reasons that couples divorce is money and sex. And so money is a great topic to talk about today. Hey, Campus, we're focusing on money. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Can you talk a little bit about how you got into doing this kind of work? You, you know, I, I really stumbled into it in one respect, uh, Gene. You know, um, I've been a leader, senior executive uh, in the high-tech industry for 35 years, but always interested in personal finance, did a lot of reading on it. I read a personal finance book a month for years and years and years. Um, I really managed my own finances. Uh, But I I was surprised at how many people struggle with money. It's unbelievable. It's our number one uh, stress out there. Um, Lots of studies have indicated that. And I stumbled into this way of getting car washes for free, as crazy as that sounds. And uh, it was interesting because it was just so easy. It was, I didn't change anything I was doing. In fact, it was easier, but I stopped paying for car washes, saved $25 a month. Not a big deal, not going to change anything. But then I stumbled in a way to uh, slash the cost of my home alarm monitoring, another $25 a month, $50. Then I got my spouse going on the free car wash program, $75 a month. And that, you know, that's not going to do anything for anyone, $75 a month, but it was so easy. And then I thought, geez, what else is there? And this what else is there led to this list. And then the list became a spreadsheet. And then I pondered and did the arithmetic future value. What's, what are these ideas worth? If you could invest this freed up cash at 7%, 10, 20, 30 years, and the numbers were astronomical. So I took it to my account and I said, you know, where's the math error here? These numbers can't be right. So the numbers are right. So this would make a great book. So I set out to write it. It was going to be a novel and I had all my characters and how the characters were going to interact. And it just didn't fit as a novel. And I was frustrated that a few days later on my breath one day, I said, she's it's more like a cookbook. 
That's exactly what it is. And it became the cash flow cookbook. And then it became a newspaper column and a full-time speaking career. And I just love it because people need the help. I think the ideas and the concepts in cash flow cookbook and the things that I deliver when I do speaking engagements really, really make a difference in people's lives. There's an easier way to do it all. And that's what the book's about. You know, people talk about financial freedom, financial freedom is what we all want, right? So, you know, how do you actually approach that? Or do you actually, you know, endorse that whole concept? I think you're financially free the day you earn $1 a month more than you spend. That's the start of freedom right there. And the bigger the difference and the longer you do it, the richer you get. So that's not news to anybody. But I think the key has been this focus. You know, if you look at traditional personal finance, if you read a dozen books, you can hear the same thing over and over again. You know, save 10%, you know, budget carefully and give up things that you love. And we all love careful budgeting and giving up things we love. Who wouldn't enjoy that, right? So, and it gets even worse as a couple because then you can say to your spouse, hey, you have to give up the things that you love and come join me for an evening of careful budgeting. So I think there's a whole different way of doing it. Um, and that's where it really gets exciting. And I think it's, it's not twice as difficult as a couple. It's probably four or six times more complex because of all the different ways that we interact with our money. And we may carry very deep rooted and very different kinds of psychology of what money means and what shortages of money mean and what kind of reactions we all have. So I think that's the key. And I think with couples, it's, it's so important to be conscious of it and so important to get it right. And you gotta take the pressure off each other if you can do that and do it in a more synergistic way, then uh, you're really off to the races and you really can get to that idea of financial freedom. That, that is fantastic. And, you know, I'm wondering if you can comment as to how money is different when it comes to relationships and couples today than it has traditionally been in the past. I think overall, I think the pressure on money has just gone up and up and up. And when you look at what's happening from the perspective of a marketer uh, or, you know, the sales function in major corporations, of which I was a part for 35 years, it's gotten more and more sophisticated. You know, there's functional imaging happening in MRIs mm -hmm. to figure out how people buy. So, you know, the slogan or the words or the tune, it's not just something somebody thought up anymore. That was back in the madman days. You know, now this is a scientific experiment. Things are A-B tested to get us right where our wallet is. You know, you know this incredible passion you feel because you have to have the new Apple Watch or iPhone or, you know, bicycle or whatever it is that we're, you know, really keen for. So on an individual level, this has just gone up. And when you see it all over the place, you can see it in the numbers. You know, back in my day, a car loan was a 36 or a 48-month loan. The average in the U.S. now is 72, with 96-month car loans becoming increasingly popular. And just about everything is, you know, pay over time. You know, Apple just launched a new pay over time program. And even the smallest things, normally you finance a car. Now you can finance things that are only $200 or, or $25. You can do it over time. So all of these are uh, approaches to get more out of us, extract more cash from us, more interest, more payments, get us to be able to, and I'm using quotes here, afford things that we really can't afford. So that's what happens on an individual level. Then when you get together as a couple, it, it's that much more intense because there's just more pressure. We've got inflation running now 8.6%. So it gets tighter and tighter every year. Most people not getting nine or 12% raises every year, despite the inflation. 
And it just becomes a crucible when you're talking about a couple. Then with a couple, you add to that the different kinds of psychologies. You know, one's a saver, one's a spender. You know, one would be in trouble with their father for spending too much money. You know, another, you know, their parents came from a warrior of mentality where you had to save every scrap of soap and the other one wants to live large. So it gets really, really difficult. So we've got to turn down the pressure, I think, for couples. And we've got to make it work. And as we start to build this financial freedom, as we get some airspace between what we earn and what we spend, then things start to happen in a positive way and people can really start to focus on that wealth building. I remember as a kid, um, you couldn't make a long distance phone call, right? Because that costs like, what, a dollar or something. A minute or something. And now we're spending $1,000 on just the phone. And there's kind of this interesting thing that's happened where there's a lot of stuff that you can get for free. And there's another thing where like you can pay a little, you know, like those subscription things. Mm -hmm. And all of those things sort of, I don't know, they sort of feel like they trap you and they hide because we don't hand over cash anymore. It's all plastic or in the ether somewhere. And I think it's harder to really have a, a grounded relationship with money where you're, you know, you're not counting out. Here's a dollar, mm -hmm. here's 20 bucks, here's a hundred bucks. How do you think that has impacted us? I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head for sure. So you know, this whole thing, it's happened a whole, whole bunch of different ways. So one is there's this idea of consumer surplus. So even the cheapest car, a Toyota Corolla, is a great car now. You know, a Toyota Corolla back in 1972 when I owned one was horrific. You'd be lucky to get it to go 50 miles an hour on the highway. But now these entry-level cars are really fantastic. And if you think about something like a phone, once you buy the phone, oh my goodness, you've got your own weather station and email concierge. I mean, it's doing an awful lot. So that idea of consumer surplus is there for sure. But now, you know, uh, price of entry is, you know, if you've got a couple of teenagers, everyone needs a thousand dollar device and you need internet. So there's all these categories and there's been this crowding out that's happened in the household into things like winter coats, you know, for those of us uh, living in the Northern US. Um, you know, so all of those things are now getting crowded out because all this technology are all must haves, even though in turn, they've got a lot of consumer surplus. So I think you're, you're just adding with that comment and you're just adding one more pressure to this whole thing. It's a great point. I think also, you know, it, you know, technology being a huge part of it, you don't really know what you're spending, where you're spending. It, it just kind of slips through the cracks a lot easier. You know, now a lot of people are doing this day trading and, you know, they have their apps that they can go into crypto and all these different kinds of things. And it almost seems like a, like a game you know, on your phone. Well, that's yet another whole side you're raising, which is the investment side. So, you know, people second guessing, more and more people taking it into their own hands, the, you know, do it yourself phenomenon. And the research tells us that people, for example, who invest in funds, they tend to earn much less than the funds themselves, mm. which sounds crazy. Why? Well, let's say COVID comes and people say, oh, COVID's coming, the stock market's starting to drop. I better get out while I still can so they go ahead and get out and then, you know, it goes down for a bit and then it rebounds. It goes up past where they got out and they say, I got to get back in now because I'm going to miss the big run. And so their psychology is working against them in investing. So you have all of the things we talked about on the consumer side, things on the buy side are working against us. 
They know how to tempt us more. There's more time payments. We're stretching out the payments. We're paying more in interest. So that's a problem. And then we're investing in things that we don't understand. We're trying to do it ourselves. Our psychology is working against us. And as we have this heightened angst in society, we're going to make worse and worse decisions. Mm-hmm. So we need to undo all that, back up all these points that we've made, and do it all smarter. What are some of the strategies that couples need to really consider and implement in their relationship? Both couples who are maybe just starting out in life, you know, they're young couples, and then also couples who are older. Maybe this is their second or third marriage, and now they're, you know, facing going into a relationship with already their assets in place. Mm-hmm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin with the end in mind. So I think people, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about budgeting. You know, it's okay. It's got some real big flaws, though. I think one of them is people say, hey, I'm budgeting $650 a month for my car payment. And they'll go to the dealership and the, the salesperson, they're very sharp. They'll say, well, how much are you budgeting? $650. Well, that just became an even longer loan. Mm-hmm. So now they're going to get in your deluxe brand new car with all the trimmings. And they can squeeze it into a 96-month loan or a 108-month loan or a 240-month loan. It fits your budget. But what's happening in terms of your wealth, you're going backwards because you're going to pay way too much in interest. So one of the things I like is this notion of tracking your wealth as a couple. So wealth is the difference of what you own minus what you owe. So everything that you own, your house, your 401k plan, your Roth IRA, your vehicles, anything you could actually sell. We're not including clothing and furniture because good luck trying to sell those kinds of things. So the the assets um, that are real assets that you actually could sell at the price you could sell them for, that's in the own part. We're going to tally that up. And then you're going to subtract what you owe. Mortgages, car loans, credit cards, HELOCs, whatever it is, and you get a number there. Then you just subtract the two. And some people call it net worth, but I think we're worth more than our money. I like to call that our wealth, what we own minus what we owe. And I think for couples, a really good exercise is to track that and update that every month, which sounds a bit onerous, actually not that difficult. You can see your car loan balance, your mortgage balance. You can you know, get on Zillow or Redfin or something and figure out the value of your house, good estimate. It takes a little bit of time, but it's really worthwhile because It's an important thing for an individual or for a couple to start to really rewire their brain. They start thinking about the wealth. Now, what's going to happen is every decision that comes along, they're thinking about that number. So instead of being gamified to buy more clothes and go to the mall, we're going to re-gamify our brains to think about building wealth because wealth is how we get to freedom. And some people say, I don't care about money. I don't want a Ferrari or, you know, you hear a lot of that sort of thing. Well, you know what, money can give you the freedom to take a year off, or maybe you want to go build a school in Nepal, or maybe you want to take um, a year as a family together, or maybe you want to retire early, or you want to join um, the family business that doesn't pay as well. So it lets you move up Maslow's hierarchy as soon as you start to free that up. So tracking the wealth, I think, is a really uh, important part of working together as a couple, because then you can say, how much do we want this wealth to grow by? And are we making headway? Oh, look at how our debts are getting paid down. It helps you to visualize it. You can graph it if you want. You can do it in the back of a cocktail napkin. You can get fancy with a spreadsheet. You know, get your buddy to build an app. But get your handle on that wealth. So that's one of the ones I'd recommend. What are uh, maybe three things that you think are the killers of that 
of behaviors that couples do in relationships. And then maybe three of the ones that people are rocking it. Okay, that's interesting. Um, you know, the, the killers are, you know, sort of the spontaneous spending, let's call it non-mindful spending. And we've all been there, you know, the sort of shopping for the sake of shopping, you know, this idea of retail therapy, I, I just literally think it's the dumbest thing that ever came about. It was invented by retailers. It's not therapy. Um, you know, you're going to get a little endorphin rush. You know, you're the psychologist here. You know, you're going to get a little endorphin rush because, oh, you buy this thing and it was on sale. You're all excited. And then, you know, what happens when the bill comes? You get the sense of, why did I do it? You have the regret. But, you know, in the moment, you're all excited. It's this designer blue sweater. And, you know, this is a name brand sweater. You're all excited because it's half price. And then, you know, you get and you're in a hurry, so you don't try it on. And of course, it's on sale, so you can't return it. And you get it home and you fold it and you put it in your closet right beside the other blue sweater that's almost exactly like it. Then you realize the one that you bought, the sleeves are a little too short. It's a bit boxy. You don't look good at it. And so look what just happened. And now it's going to hang out for a year or two until you have a yard sale and you're going to sell it for five cents on the dollar. So this whole retail therapy is absolutely, I know I'm harping on it, but it's the worst thing. It literally has to go. Um, and then I think there's the uh, faith popcorn, you know, if you call them small indulgences, this, you know, we'll pick up a coffee on the way to work, we'll get a muffin and coffee on the way home, you know, bag of chips and a soda lunch. When you look at that, that's typically something like $300 a month. And that is just insane. So there's, you know, there's a better way to do that. As a minimum, understand how much you're spending on this thing. If all it is, is, you know, $3 coffee a day, it's not going to change things. But Sometimes people get carried away with it. So those kinds of things, the non-mindful spending, I think is a big one. Um, you know, things that people do well, um, you know, this business of locking it in. You know, if you have a work 401k that's contributory or employers, you know, get that thing going, get it out of your hands. That's the best thing to do. Um, that I think makes a big difference. So that would be a bit of a starter kit. And then we can get into some of the ideas from the book that make a big difference for people. If that's a fit. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. why, why don't you uh, kind of get into a little bit some of the tips? Yeah. So um, in the book, it's, it's written in two parts. And in the first part, we're sneaking in on Eric and Keisha, this couple, and we're going to watch over their shoulders and they make a whole series of financial discoveries. And they're not an atypical American couple. Um, and uh, the story sort of takes place in Cleveland, Ohio for Good reason that's where I am and uh, we watch them and you know what they're doing okay they got a couple of lovely uh, twin boys and they're making ends meet you know they have nice vacations nice everything but they're not putting anything away they're literally living paycheck to paycheck which 65 percent of us Americans do and then they make a couple of discoveries and they start to change their finances and they work with this wealth advisor Wanda who kind of gets them steered in the right direction and every time they make one of these discoveries and one of these changes, as a reader, we're watching them saying, I could do that. That's not hard. But what happens over the course of these changes that they make, there's no sacrifice, minimal effort. And they free up a million and a half dollars at retirement. And, you know, when the readers go through this and, you know, my, my test readers all said the same thing. Wow, I had no idea. And so here they are. Now they have wealth and they've got options. They've got choices. And that's just part one. Part two of the book is we take a look at 60 financial recipes. And what these are, looking at our major areas of spend, housing, transportation, food, household, lifestyle, and financial. And there's 10 of these recipes in each of these six areas, 60 in total. And it's different ways of looking at things, ways of freeing up cash we never would have thought of. 
So usually when you read these kinds of books, oh, you can make your own household cleaning supplies or, you know, drive to five grocery stores every week to get the best deal on the vegetables, you know, clip the coupons or, you know, put tinfoil on your windows to cut down your air conditioning. I'm not doing it. This is nonsense. This is preposterous. I'm not doing that. Neither are the two of you. So, but we get into ones that are really uh, quite interesting and quite surprising. I'll give you a few examples if that's all right. Yeah, sure. Um, so the first one I'll give you is uh, personal experience. And um, some of these came from the readers of my blog sending me in things. It was two years of research to gather them all and I update them all the time. So I needed to get a statin pill. My cholesterol uh, was at issue, not uncommon. And often you, you leave the doctor's office, they give you a little prescription. You're just thinking about one thing, where do I get this thing filled? Cause I gotta get my pills. And often uh, serendipitously, there was a, a drugstore, one of the big chains in the ground floor of my doctor's office, fabulous. I go to get a fill of $107 a month. And I have to take the pills for the rest of my life. Now $107 a month isn't gonna break me, but it's not immaterial either. That's a reasonable amount of money for most people to think about. So I said to the pharmacist, Jesus, a little, little pricey. And she said, we'll get our drug card. And I said, well, how much is the drug card? $20 a year. So if I had the drug card, how much are the pills? 63. So I thought, wow, I said 500, like how long did that take? Two seconds. Did I change my lifestyle? Did I give up anything? Nothing. Save $500 a year by spending 20. So I'm up 480 a year. So for dinner with my brother-in-law, I tell him the story. I'm all pleased with myself. He says, no. He says, you want to get to one of the online uh, drugstores. Gives me the name of one to use. So I get home at night and I type in my pills. $13 a month. You just mm -hmm. go to the drugstore with a special card. Get the pills for 13 107 63 13 I thought if it's dropping that fast, we're not done yet. So I do a little more research. I find a different online store, $7 a month. So I did a blog post on cashflowcookbook.com, how I saved 94% of my prescription drugs. So that's a big deal. There's $100 right there. And most people, when they go through the book, they'll find $1,000 or $2,000 a month in savings. And there's a great example, just that simple. Um, and some of them are quite stealthy. You know, um, one of the ones that missed the first six printings of the book uh, that I discovered, I'm embarrassed, I discovered it very late in the game, but wow, it's quite a bonanza. And that is um, learning about your credit score. And I never thought about my credit score. You know, I've had good jobs and making lots of money and lots of credit cards with big limits. I moved to the United States. The credit score doesn't come across countries. Oh. I couldn't get a $300 credit card. I had to leave $300 on deposit at the bank to get a $300 credit. It was a bit humiliating, but anyway, it got me learning about credit scores, which is really interesting. A huge proportion of people's credit scores have errors. That means you have a lower credit score than you actually deserve. And lots of people, even people who are doing well financially, maybe they don't get all the bills paid quite on time. They forget the odd bill. They don't worry about it because they know they have the money. It's not a big deal. But what happens is your credit score can swing the total interest cost of a loan by 70%, 70 percent, seven zero percent. Yep. And it can swing the cost of your car insurance by 30 to 50% and your house insurance by 30 to 50%. So it wouldn't be crazy to have, let's say twins or you know, two people at the same age and stage, same house, same car, everything, $1,000 or more a month difference. And it's totally stealthy. Mm -hmm. So you fix that up, learn about your credit score, you know, get the errors fixed, make sure you understand how it works and how to improve your credit score. Again, you give up nothing. 
and now you're freeing up more cash flow. So this is the kind of thing that, um, you know, there's so many examples of this in the book. And some of these things are hundreds of dollars a month. And often they, you know, some of them are stealthy like that. Some are about conserving and some are about um, a different paradigm. You know, most of us pay our cable TV bill every month. You don't think about it. Not unusual, it's a couple hundred dollars. So you can get YouTube TV for $70 a month, sports, the whole bit. But people don't think about it. It's a bit of a different paradigm. A young person starting out might get YouTube TV or they might think about it. You know, if it's an older couple, they probably, you know, the which, the what, you know. So um, example after example of this um, all through the book. And these are things that people can do and start to free up some cash flow, start to get some daylight between what they earn and what they spend. Those are some really great tips. And it just really seems like, you know, financial companies and retail companies, everything, they're just pr 